UEG Talks, Gastroenterology to Go. Welcome to our GI podcast. Listen for fresh insights and perspectives in science, education, and professional development. Hello, everyone. My name is Agle, and I'm the host of UEG Talks, educational, hopefully fun dive into GI world and beyond. We're happy to have you with us for another exciting episode. And today we're very, very happy to have with us a true fruit from UG Street, a former YTG chair and current educational committee chair, a chief of endoscopy in Basel University Hospital, and all around a very, very exciting person, Henrietta Heinrich. Welcome, Henrietta. Hi, Egle. Thank you for having me. It's a true pleasure to talk to you. So let's dive in. You've been around the block a lot, and uh, you've been also an employee and employer. You've had to mentor and be a mentee. And for you, what does constitute a truly great department? What do you look for in a working environment for you to grow and be happy? So saying that I've been around block, that's okay. But I think everyone who has been working as a doctor for 15 years has been around the block and has been in the position that you have been an employee or have employed people that you had to take responsibility for employees at some point. And on that path, you kind of learn how you would do it uh, if you were the boss and how you wouldn't. And I think for me, a department that is successful is a department with flat hierarchies, with open communication between the different disciplines and, and I say that very consciously, with clear rules, um, how the service should run, what the goals are, what the strategy is, and also how education and training should work. So that would be my sort of blueprint for a really, really good department. So clear structure, you know, when you come to the hospital, what to do and what to expect. Yeah. Also, for, let's just take the example of a trainee on the first day that they get a, a training induction week, know the ropes, learn the ropes, learn from their peers, how the services run, what is expected, what are the standards of care, what, um, how quality is ensured, how the different hierarchies work, who's in charge of what whom to call if there's a severe bleeder, whom to call if you need an ERCP, who's the surgeon who takes care of fund applications, what have you. All these important details, I think, make you feel welcome on the first day. And also on the first day, meeting everyone and being introduced to everyone makes your inclusion into a team very much easier. Having your own workplace set up for you, all the passwords, all the keys you need to get in, that just shows that you're welcome and that you're a part of the team. So it already starts on the first day, right? Okay. Good day. Babes of the way. Yeah. And it, it's about the feeling that you're welcome and you're a part of the team. But what do you do then things go wrong? I mean, we are all human beings where we have our personal issues, uh, likes and dislikes. But what do you do then? things do not go well with your boss or your colleagues? How do you face the adversity? I think in these moments, you always have to reflect where that problem comes from. Where is it rooted? Is it rooted within the organization um, of the department? Is it rooted in maybe that you have worked a lot and that you're very tired and that you're maybe prone to, to seeing everything rather black? 
is it a combination of many factors? Is it that you were promised many things, but they never materialized? And I think the way to go in these situations is to be very open, also reflecting on what you could do better. I think that's always good. And to make an appointment with your boss and have a very clear conversation about what you feel is going on and how that might be improved. Because I think most of the time we tend to not air grievances or problems too openly because sometimes we feel, oh, this could create trouble. But actually, I think it's sometimes beneficial to really be open early on and say, well, um, why is that structure in the place that it's now? Couldn't we change it? And then you maybe learn why is it in that place and you gain more understanding and learn to work with that a lot better. So asking questions, having conversations with your superiors or your mentor or your tutor who takes care of you in the department, I think is very, very important when you are starting to feel unhappy with your job. Okay, so openness and structured approach to a problem is the key then. And talking about the mentors, do you feel that every young GI should have his Yoda, a person formal or informal that you go to when, when you have questions or you're planning your career? Do we need to be flowered? I think that's a very interesting question. I gave a talk at a meeting recently about mentoring and I thought about all the people that had mentored me at some point in my career. And there are a lot of people that mentor you. It can be peers that actually give you good advice. It can be family. It can be, you know, also a formal coach. But most of the time, a mentor-mentee relationship develops when you do research together or when you scope together or when you work clinically together and there is mutual trust and understanding. And I have to say, yes, of course, I've got my Yoda, whom I trust <laughs> above anyone else. If I have a problem that I need to have solved or where I'm not sure whether my approach is the right one, I ask. And you can have mentors for different types of problems, political problems. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's very important. So if your endoscopy Yoda is the best person for endoscopy, he might or she might not be the best person to solve political problems. You might have a politics um, Yoda who's very much into how departments work and which how you should tread in that situation, who has lots of, of experience in that. So I think everyone has basically a senior advisory board around them, consisting of clinical research, colleagues, also your family or friends that actually advise you constantly. I've hardly ever seen anyone who doesn't have a Yoda. Yeah, it takes a village of Yodas to raise a young Jedi. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, so you've been a mentee and a mentor, and you've explained what you what you are looking for in a mentor, and that you can have multiple ones for different reasons. But what do you expect from a good mentee? For you to put your time and knowledge and expertise to a young GI specialist, what do you expect to see? What do I expect to see? Usually persistence and enthusiasm and joy, because I think. I haven't mentored many people, but what I enjoy the most about mentoring is when people actually st 
start enjoying what they're doing and they're enthusiastic about what you're doing, it just gives me lots of happiness when I see someone succeeding and you just gave like the tiny bit of advice, maybe go this way and it works. It's just great for you as well. So I think persistence, enthusiasm is important in a mentee and also a little bit of the attitude that you can do this. You just need that push, you know, that your mentor is, is there for the push and not to heave you somewhere, but you do lots of the heavy lifting, but you, you get that decisive push from your mentor. And that's how I was very much um, mentored. And that's probably something that I want to see in my mentees. That's mentees just come to you. They, they're suddenly there and you cannot abandon them. And then you, or they don't but most of the time they are enthusiastic very bright they want to go somewhere and they're very persistent okay so you spark joy in young mentees your jedis and you don't cause any abandonment issues with them then and no what i think i try to spark the joy that i have doing my job but i also get the joy back when they start feeling that joy so good example, I have a very young trainee. She just starts out in endoscopy and she is just so happy when she traverses the upper esophageal sphincter. And she's so happy that happiness radiates back to me and it motivates me as well. And so she, it's, it's amazing to see her learning curve. And I, I love mentoring her because she says, I'm not fast enough. I need to learn quicker. And I'm like, no, you're doing fine. You're doing well. Go on. And it's just so you're just cheerleading her to her success. Yeah, I think as a mentor, you push people into the right direction. I was shoved by my mentors, of course. <laughs> <laughs> so these are all good things. The things from the department, the structure, the rules, the open communication, hopefully a Yoda or two for you to help to go in the right direction. But Talking about darker things, uh, Death Stars, when do you know that things are not good for you and maybe you can't be the change you want to see in others? Maybe there's no room for you. Maybe your learning curve is flat and will be flat for the remainder of the time. When do you know that it's time to change it up and leave? That's a tricky question. I think you know when you start looking for other jobs, or when you get a job offer that you maybe half a year ago wouldn't have considered when you think about, mm, maybe I'm going to have a look. Okay. And also, if you feel that you could do better in another place where your talents and your style in how you do things would be appreciated more. And it's not necessarily about being at the end of the line, but finding a job that gives you the joy that, that you want to see in your job. But the first sign is usually when you start looking for other jobs or when you start listening to offers that come in more frequently. That's usually a sign. And then you should go and dig a little bit why that is, try to solve that internally if you're really invested in the department. And when you see there's no change, then you can go on for another challenge that will make you grow. So it sounds like a personal relationship. No one's looking around when they're happy in their marriage. A bit, a bit. <laughs> but, you know, if, if you're talking about your job, you being married to your job, you probably would go for counseling first, which is 
yeah, it's, it's a good comparison. You would try to fix it. You would try to fix it first because you've invested a lot into your workplace and your workplace usually has invested a lot in you. And so both parties have an interest in staying together and improving the situation. I think that's the, that's the road you should always take first in a job. Counseling before going. Yeah, no, but you know, having conversations with your superiors, with people who are in charge. And if you are in charge, you need to find out why as a boss, you are maybe suddenly bored with what you're doing. I have never been in that situation, but it can happen, I think. So also examining the situation at hand and some self-reflection is needed to see. It's never good to just say goodbye, I'm leaving. You should always have your plan A to B, C, D, E ready. I think that's very important to have a structured mind about these things. It's not as emotional as a marriage. You can be rational about it. So instead of being a drama queen and shutting the door behind... You need to be strategic and plan. Yes, indeed. What are your options? So talking about planning, both workplace and your career, what do you think about super specialization? I mean, we all go through a basic training and then we have to decide either purely clinical career or academic and then the field that we want to excel in. And do you think that going to very specialized places, like for instance... We've got an episode where we talked about a pancreatosis histologist. Do you think that going very deep into one area, we lose the broader perspective? I personally think that you cannot be good at everything you do. You cannot be good at everything in gastroenterology at the same time. You, you know, I can treat an IBD patient. I can do that. Should I? You know, I love polyps. <laughs> I love endoscopy. I love ERCP. I love interventions. And I want to be very good at that. So I have for myself decided that I'm not the right doctor to treat an IBD patient long-term or a cirrhotic patient long-term. I can treat them. I do. But I always ask colleagues that know better than me because I cannot keep up with all the reading, with the changing guidelines. I just cannot. So I think it happens to you during your career that you have to focus on a certain area. That doesn't mean that you cannot treat patients out of other areas of gastroenterology, but you need to be very aware that you're not an expert on this anymore. And you need to be open to ask colleagues who know better. You know, I feel very invasive if I give a patient some new anti-TNF blocker that I've only read about in a study. And I'm like, oh, it's not this. <laughs> and my IBD prof says, oh, it's actually not such a big problem. Just send him to my clinic. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> And then I can tell my patient, I'm going to send you to a very big specialist. And the patient is the center. And if you don't know something, you basically have to ask. And I think specialization happens if you want it or not, because sometimes you like a field more than you like the other. But when a patient shows up, you have to treat the patient. But if you don't know, you have to ask the telephone joker. So you kind of have to have your position, let's say like in basketball, you maybe point guard, you have to know how to play in other positions, but 
if you're good at it, to base the level, good. yes. I think that a hepatologist should still know how to perform an emergency endoscopy. It's not the same in every country, but in Switzerland, hepatologists do still perform endoscopies and they do bleeders. And I think it enriches the practice. It would be a shame if they couldn't fix their own variceal bleedings anymore, but they had to call in someone to do it for them, right? There are just some basic skills that you have as a gastroenterologist. And you can still play these positions to a certain extent, but if it gets more and more difficult, you just ask someone who plays that position every day and it's beneficial for the patient. Fair enough. GI tract is way too wide to know everything. We've talked about what's the ideal, what's the current and what could go really wrong. And... uh, (laughs) You've been a lot through academia, clinical work, a lot of work for UG. What does keep you motivated every day going forward? Because it's we've talked about a lot about the physician burnout. We are all exhausted in all the specialties. And we have to teach, we have to do research. The patients are very demanding. And sometimes you don't have energy or motivation for anything at all. So what keeps you going? Sometimes I don't know. <laughs> Force. <laughs> yeah, but sometimes it's just that really nice endoscopy day where everything went right, where you just have that golden streak of happiness, where you manage to fix a couple of problems, learn something new, don't cause damage, and you have a patient at the end who's actually better than he was before. That sometimes happens. These are like the little gold nuggets you find through your month. And that's what what keeps me, that's what keeps me going. And I try to think of those moments when I feel that I actually um, would like to just stay at home on my couch and not go out anymore. And um, that still does the trick. And another thing that motivates me is my colleagues, my team. We have a great team where we um, work together in an office. We we call it the hive intelligence. And it's great to solve <laughs> problems of all kinds, medical problems. You know, is there enough food? Someone always has a Snickers bar in their drawer. <laughs> and, you know, these things keep me motivated. Or you have just sparked joy in your yeah, mentee. Or my trainee just managed to, to traverse the upper esophageal sphincter and smiles at me like, these are the things that keep you going or you get like the rare moment where your endoscopy yoda tells you well that was not half bad and you're like oh Oh, so you take little things to heart and yeah but these are the things that usually keep you going it's it's no use not enjoying those tiny moments these are the things that are really important True. So, Hedrita, we we cannot expand more. The GI tract is so long, but we cannot take every stop at it. Uh, So to finish, could you please tell me, you've been Yoda, you've been a Jedi. What's the best professional advice that you have ever given or you were ever given to? I think the best professional advice I was ever given was by my endoscopic Yoda. And it was, does it actually matter? And I think, you know, it it comes in the context of, you know, political upheaval in a department, 
um, where you don't know whether you've done wrong or right. And maybe you've caused a complication and it's, it might be utilized to kind of darken your steps or whatever. And the question when you ask yourself, does it actually matter? Does it keep you from trying again? Does it keep you from trying to get better? Does it keep you from doing the endoscopy that you want? That always helps me. Does any of this, you know, stuff keep you from doing what you actually like doing? And as long as the answer is no, it's not important. And I think that that's the best advice my endoscopic Yoda ever gave me. Does it actually matter? It's a very stoic approach yeah, very to every stoic day. Approach, but it, he's very stoic and I'm not. So <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're all just learning every day. Thank you, Henrietta, so, so much. We talked a lot and I hope that the audience, as much as I got a lot of tips and tricks of how to survive the world of GI. And we thank you for your time and expertise, knowledge, and may the force be with you. Yeah, may the force be with you. And uh, thank you so much for asking me all those questions, which I hope I answered correctly. <laughs> There's no right or wrong. That's just sparking joy. See you guys. See you. Bye-bye.